With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this edition of Fishology. For those of you who may be new here in Fishology, we'd like to give you the analytical version of our podcast here and talk about the Miami Marlins. And as always, I am joined by Mr. Eli Sussman and the strongest man on Fish Stripes, Louis Adeo Weiss. Guys, how are you feeling for this episode? If you're listening to this on Thursday, it's opening day, so... <laughs> A new season's upon us. Everybody's got a perfect ERA. Nobody's gotten out at the plate yet. Like it's, it's hope springs eternal. I'm very excited for another season of baseball and covering the Marlins. Yeah, yeah all the possibilities are on the table and until they're not. So that's the Marlins' existence through the years. Is you just watch little by little as hope escapes you, and at this moment, um, it hasn't yet. I think we started fishology right at the start of the off season. So this is going to be something new. And I think this just makes, it's going to be more, it's going to be a more valuable tool. I think to you guys, as we analyze during the season, as it goes on, instead of just doing year ends and future shows, this is kind of the, uh, the premise that we had in mind when we started in the first place is having it as your companion throughout the regular season, as it just gets going right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and with that, um, I think we can call this episode "Don't Call It a Comeback" as we are giving you guys four possible comeback uh, uh, players for the Marlins. Um, and for those of you maybe you want to skip around, listen to a certain player, uh, we're going to do Hoy Soler, Avi Garcia, Jacob Stallings, and Tanner Scott. So four players there who did not have the best of seasons last year, especially when you look at Avi and Hoy Soler and the amount of money that the Marlins guaranteed them. These four players combined for a 0.0 war uh, between all of them. And let's just go on with Jorge Soler, the only positive war player from that list at 0.4 last year. Um, came had came in with a lot of hopes to be the Marlins cleanup hitter, hit 30, 40 home runs. Uh, big contract coming off the World Series MVP with the Atlanta Braves. Lewis, talk to me about Jorge Soler and why he is a comeback player candidate. I guess we're getting the positives out of the way first as far as players go. Um, you know, Solaire was maybe of the players that we're going to talk about today while he was on the field was probably the best performer. And again, that doesn't say much for an offense that went through extended stretches of uh, really struggling to score runs. But, you know, you look at the sample of what he did in the totality of the years. Was it 2018 to 21? And he was about 20% above league average. It was, it was a 119 adjusted OPS plus. Um, he had that monster year, I believe, in 2019 with the Royals where he hit something like 48, 49 home runs. And, you know, he he's one of those guys that while he's limited in certain ways, there's a lot he does well for you. He is an above average hitter as far as taking walks. Um, he hits the ball hard. I believe his average exit velocity, there wasn't that much variance. It was about 90.2, 90.3 miles per hour off the bat last year when he was on the field. He did miss extended time with injury, um, did come back near the end. But, you know, if you look at the actual output, it's, you know, by slash line, 207, 295, 400. And that's a 695 OPS. That's a 95 adjusted OPS plus. It's below average. But, you know, when... You look under the hood, as we like to say when we look at peripherals and we look at um, expected stats, is it's better. It's more encouraging. You know, the batting average isn't much better. It's 226. It's 305. It's 421 for the slash. But that's a 726 theoretical OPS. And you'd like to think, while it would still be somewhat disappointing if the Marlins got that kind of production, if all else kind of matched the um Batable, the batter ball data suggests should have happened. And you kind of think that, like, they'd be a little more okay with it. Really nice swing. And now Soler launches one center field. This one is gone. And the Marlins, for the second night in a row, go back to back. Well, with two outs, you love to see this from the Marlins, that power that they have in the middle of the lineup. It's been a while since Soler's gone deep. He does strike out quite a bit. Um, though it's slightly less than what Avi Garcia did last year, it's still about 23 to 26% consistently. He'll consistently strike out about a quarter of the time. But again, most of baseball does that nowadays. And if you don't, you're kind of an anomaly in this era. Um, it, defensively, he's limited. He's not the best guy, but I think 
you know, if you want to expect something from him this year, it's, you know, the initial thought was right when the season ended, we saw that he accepted his um, team up, his player option for, I believe it was for 15 million for this year, if I'm not mistaken. And that would theoretically make him the highest paid player on the team. That being said, um, he's probably going to DH a lot of the time. He'll platoon there with Cooper. Cooper will play first base. Marlins have a gluttony of outfielders, so he'll probably play some left field. Although in spring training, for those Marlins fans who are watching and we got to see, um, new manager Skip Schumacher and the coaching staff kind of experimented with like a left field, right field hybrid with him and uh, Avisel Garcia. And we've heard from Skip Schumacher. It's been substantiated that we'll probably see that during the season. Either way, I don't think that makes the team any better. Like I said, Soler is a below average defender. Um, but the power is legit. I think he's probably got the most raw power of any player in this lineup besides Jesus Sanchez. Um, I have more to say about him, but Eli, I don't want to go on too long or longer than I already have. So I'll let you impart a little bit of wisdom for our listeners and maybe for us tonight as well about what you think went wrong with Soler last year and what maybe you think we'd expect to see in 2023. What I want to draw people's attention to is – uh, the split of uh, the split, the shift and how that affected him uh, last year. He more so than any other of the regular players, he was really adversely affected by the infield shift, which as we know is now going away this year. So for those of pe people watching it on YouTube, um, he was shifted 78% of the time last year as a right-handed hitter. That is very unusual. Um, it speaks to his very pull heavy tendencies. That's his, for better or for worse, that's been who he has been most of his career. He pulls a lot of balls, and that's because when he gets into the air, um, a lot of those turn into home runs. But those that are put on the ground, when you have an overshifted infield, last year, um, a well below average hitter when he was hitting, when he was fielded, when he was defended with a overshift to the left side of the infield, a 275 weighted on base average, according to StatCast. But you look at the times that he was not shifted, and he was outstanding. A 411 weighted on base average. And for context, league averages in the low 300s. He was just an outstanding hitter in the few opportunities that he got to hit against a standard defensive alignment. Uh, on top of what you just said, if he is the same player that he was last year, I think you expect a lot more singles and occasionally a few more doubles as a result of the rule change. He's going to be a big beneficiary of that that's what stood out to me for one thing but he is a player that when things are right he is elevating the ball and the shift doesn't even come into play he, he hits home runs he was on pace if he had played close to a full season he was on pace for about 30 homers last year and that's nothing to sneeze at when you play your home games at lone depot park so the power is still there even as he struggled last year um with him uh, to put into context, when they signed him, he was coming off an amazing end to his season with the Braves. He was like 32% better than league average as a hitter after being traded from the Royals to the Braves late in the season, and then even better than that in the postseason. This going by uh, weighted runs created plus. He was a great hitter for that final three months, August, September, October of 2022, of 2021, the Marlins signed him hoping that he could carry some of that over to his new team. As you touched on, the strikeout rate spiked way up. Um, he was better than ever at making contact when he was with the Braves late that season. But then all of a sudden he comes to the Marlins and it's up to in the high 20s 
which is significantly worse than league average and even worse than, as you mentioned, his historical norms being in the mid-20s. This is a player that I feel like if he does what he has historically done, he's just going to get better results than he had last year. Um, and so I understand why uh, you understand why the Marlins are still slotting him towards the middle of their lineup and still intending to uh, play him every single day. Uh, yeah, the only things that you can really pick at are is that strikeout rate and whether he can put more balls in play um, in the first place and also the health factor. So uh, we'll wait to see exactly how often he's going to be getting those DH days to get him off his feet after struggling with that back issue last year. Um, that's going to be so important. If he's simply 100% healthy, that just opens a lot of possibilities for him at the plate. So even though he was on the field a lot last year, he wasn't at full strength. So that alone could uh, make a lot of difference. I think this is the player coming into this that we felt most optimistic about bouncing back, Have his, has the highest salary on the team, and yet has the upside to potentially like live up to that high price tag. And um, the final thing on Horace Soler before uh, we move on to the other players is uh, defensively. Uh, obviously, he looks like to be the sure thing and uh, for the D8s, but are there any reason that maybe Marlins, man, Marlins uh, fans should be worried in terms of his defense uh, when looking at it respectively to the other players? Does that really bring down maybe his value um, for the rest of the season where he's not going to be outputting almost anything at all defensively? I think what you're likely to get is just negative value. Although there were times last year, and we can all substantiate this, that he did look um, commendable as a left fielder. You know, he robbed a couple of home runs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the throwing arm is, is above average. I mean, StatCast metrics kind of outline that, or at least it's slightly above average. But positioning-wise, he's never been great. I mean, I believe he's like minus 8 D-War, minus 9 D-War first career by uh, baseball reference. You look at his fielding runs and his DRS, they're literally the exact same, minus 50. And regardless of where you go, if you put him in right, you put him in left, he's below average in either spot. You put him in one position for an extended time and everything will relatively balance out with as far as how below average he is going to be defensively. It's strange, though, because he reminds me a lot of Marcelo Zuno, where tools-wise, you think that he could be better than he actually is defensively. And offensively, the inconsistencies tend to run parallel. As I'm, So, Lair's highs haven't been as high as this highs we've seen with Ozuna in Atlanta in that 2020 season and that 2016-2017 All-Star year with Miami. But... That being said, you know, he kind of just a guy that doesn't always live up to what he is capable of doing, at least from what we've seen at his best. Um, yeah, but defensively, you're not going to get much. I, Eli, Danny, I wanted to ask you guys if there were anything that you would be concerned about, particularly his drop and launch angle and the fact that his hard hit rate was the lowest in the last five years for him. Is there anything that concerns you about that? And then... Can that be slightly substantiated by the fact that his spring OPS was, you know, in the early sixes? Like, it, and again, don't put too much stock in spring training, but it's 50 plate appearances. I mean, that's a pretty good sample this early in the year. I'm going to default to health, like contributing to this, his back issues, um, potentially coming to play when it comes to how he 
follows through on his swings, even though his launch angle was down, it is still higher than the league average as it typically was. And we saw it like show up in certain moments where he hit some of the most majestic home runs that anybody has hit on this team this year. So I, I think he could get back to um, what he used to be. The big wild card in this, as we talk about him and the next couple guys, is that they Marlins have a new have overhauled their hitting philosophy and their hitting coaches. They James Rousen is out, um, Eric Duncan is out, Brant Brown is in, John Mayberry is in. These are guys that have been um, the players themselves have vocalized how different it is the instruction that they're getting and the priorities that they're putting into place. And I'm fascinated to see how that impacts both the young guys and the veterans like Solaire, like what type of um, uh, suggestions those coaches make, how their the attack plan that these hitters have could be different than what it used to be. Um, because there, it's, it's like a different, depending on what pitch type you're looking for and what zone you're looking for, um, you can get some pretty uh, different results in terms of what those swings look like and the trajectory of the ball looks like. So this is a guy coming off a season where, um, yeah, just across the board, it was pretty meh production. Like there wasn't like a clear strength to his game. There wasn't like a terrible weakness that was exploiting him either. Um, I mean, the one thing that I recall that he was still doing pretty well is he was hitting lefties and the Marlins really missed that when he was out. But that's the one thing that I shrugged my shoulders on is exactly how the coaching staff could impact um, the attack plan that these hitters have at the plate and um, how you could see like a different distribution of batted balls, depending on what these guys are really trying to do, um, what their plan is when they step into the box each time. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah. And with that, I think it's a perfect transition to talk about our next player. Uh, Another player... Again, who disappointed last season, um, put up, I believe, one of the lowest wars um, on the Marlins. Avisael Garcia with a negative 1.1 war um, probably had or did have the worst season in his career. He had an OPS of, I believe, right here, a 582 OPS, 65 OPS plus, um, had have a large contract with the Marlins, or I believe the largest contract with the Marlins. Uh, just someone that needs to really pick it up, who's doing good in maybe even years, opposed to odd years. He lost a lot of weight in the offseason. Looks like a completely uh, different person. Um, Eli, uh, what can we expect with Avisael Garcia now in 2023? Is, is it because it's the odd year? Are we expecting Avisael Garcia to just come out of nowhere and be an all-star? 
Well, we'll touch on the elephants in the uniform first. The fact that he was really overweight last year. Um, and he carried that throughout most of the season. And that had some marginal differences on the way that he was running um, in his sprint speed being down a couple tenths of a meter per sec of a foot per seconds and his home to first time being down a little bit as well. So this is a player that throughout a lot of his career has hit the ball on the ground a lot. There's a pretty, those fractions of a second really matter if you're going to do that between getting out and getting a hit. And that's one reason why, if we look at his measurables, you know, a reason why he just didn't get as many singles as he did the year before, why he wasn't getting on base in the first place for, this is a hitter that he has some characteristics. That I don't think you're going to change. He is so hyper aggressive and he also swings and misses a lot. So there are so many outs that I don't know, unless Brant Brown has this, um, like, natural ability to like change his thinking and his plan at the plate. This is a guy that is going to get out a certain number of times just because of the way that he sees the ball and the way that he doesn't necessarily recognize pitches. There are going to be outs there no matter what. What's most important is making the most out of all of those other outcomes and making the most out of them by ideally putting it in the air more. He's coming off a season where his ground ball rate was about as high as it ever had been, and it was really high up there across all of Major League Baseball to hit 56% of your batted balls on the ground. League average is like 44%. So that's one thing that historically he's been a little bit better at, and that's one thing that could definitely change with him. And what he also, I noticed, I don't know whether this was related to his body type or anything else, he had a lot of trouble with pitches that were low in the strike zone. Even when he was like swinging at pitches that were in the zone, when they were low, like knee or higher, um, he just wasn't making a whole lot of hard contact, and he certainly wasn't elevating those balls the way that he used to. Um, on Baseball Savant, they have it separated by uh, pitch locations, whether they're in the heart of the zone, whether they're in the shadow, like kind of near the edges of the zone, whether they're outside or whether they're waste pitches. And when you look at the shadow of the zone, the ones that were around the corners, especially those that were around knee high, he just he wasn't hitting the ball hard, and when you add it all together, by runs above average, he had been a league average hitter on those pitches in 2021, his last year with the Brewers. And with the Marlins, he was 20 runs below average on pitches in the shadows. That is, I believe, the very worst mark in all of baseball. Like He lost more value on those pitches around the corners than he did the year before. And I imagine that's one thing that he needs to focus on this year. Um, if he's able to come up with a plan for making getting the barrel to the ball on those pitches for somebody that hits the ball as hard as he does, he's right there with Solaire when it comes to max exit velocity at 117. In the general hard hit rate being in the 75th percentile last year, that go that lines up pretty well with what he's done. Um, he has the potential to continue to make a lot of hard contact and be right among the team leaders in extra base hits and to certainly improve on his home run total from last year, which was only, was it only eight home runs? Do I have that right? There's no way. Only eight home runs last yeah. year eight in 98 runs. games. Just unbelievable for somebody with his batted ball skills and able to go to all fields. He should be better than he has been, and it, but it's about recognizing there there is somewhat of a limited ceiling on this player. Uh, uh, considering 
the what year over year has shown us. There are some things, even in odd years, whether it's even years or odd years, there are uh, the lack of walks and the lack of contact are kind of going to limit exactly what he's capable of. And then you look at, you know, you talked about Solaire, who was terrific when there was no shifts on him. But then you look at Avi Garcia and you see that there really isn't that much of a difference when he is and isn't shifted. And that, you know, parlayed with the year he had last year, the Yandy Diaz humbling ground ball rate that he had. And the fact that, you know, again, I'm not putting too much stock in it, but the fact that he started spring, I believe he hit 455 in his first four games of spring, and then he went on a two for 38 stretch where he struck out like about 50% of the time and was just swinging at pitches near his eyes. Um, and then the fact that he's just like not going to hit fastballs low and in and every pitch beyond fastballs, he was, like you said, field um, run values, he was minus 20. His swing take is like a nine minus 17. Like there's just very little in the way of him um rebounding in a way that would justify the contract that he is getting. I mean you you if you you know we have the stat cast metrics in front of us and everything across the board is down beyond a couple of things that um make they they, they stabilize they kind of stayed where they are. I mean from the expected on base, the expected batting average, he just kind of had a horrendous season and baseball reference and fangrass will tell you that by total war. I believe baseball reference, he was at minus 1.1 baseball reference war. And that's like bottom tier for position players. Um, I don't know if it's too early to call his contract a bust, but I would definitely say that, you know, I don't have a lot of faith in a rebound. The only maybe redeeming factor with Avi is that my, Outside of Solaire, he is the better defender of the two. Um, and that doesn't even say much because his overall defensive metrics are in the negatives, but they're not as, you know, they're not bordering on Gary Sheffield numbers to a lesser extent the way that Solaire is as far as how bad of a corner outfielder type he is. He's shown in the past that he can be an adequate defender. He's got an above average arm. He's he's pretty fast um, for his size, but there's just a lot Maybe, and it could be between the ears. I mean, who knows? But there's a lot that states that, you know, I don't know, is it too early? They said that this contract's already a sunken cost because I don't see be, beyond him having another 2017 or 2021, him rebounding anywhere to justify the deal that Miami gave him. And I'd say it's arguably one of the biggest blunders that Kim Ang has made in her two plus year tenure as GM of the team. The one thing that I do feel strongly about is that they early in the year, if he does appear to be the same player that he was last year, um, you don't need to do anything drastic in terms of releasing him. The next step, the, the incremental step, is to consider platooning him and put him in situations where he's facing lefty pitching, where uh, that would be obviously a very limited playing time, but that's how you kind of salvage production and make sure that when he's actually – hitting that he has the best chance to get pitches that he can make contact with. He's a guy in his career. There's about a hundred point gap in OPS against righties versus lefties. So seven fourteen against righties. That's a little below average. He's eight 11 versus lefties. 
which is good. He's a good hitter against left-handed pitchers. Um, the strikeouts are still there, but the walks are way up. Believe it or not, Lewis, he has like a 9% walk rate in his career when he's facing lefties. That's actually a little bit better than the league average. That's a part of his game. He's a more complete hitter when he's put in platoon situations between Soler, between Brian De La Cruz, and even between some of the AAA outfielders that they have in the system, like Peyton Burdick, who could come up at some point. They have Gerard Encarnacion. They have players that I think can um, – oh, you know what? I should talk about the other way. On the left – when I talk about platoon partners, outfielders that on the left side. Yeah, Jesus Sanchez, Jazz Chisholm Jr., that's who I meant to reference. Between those two guys – they have other options to, to play against the righties and allow him to focus on what he should be focusing on. Um, yeah, holding out hope for him to be a great everyday player I don't think is realistic. They're going to give him a little chance to rebound. That's understandable. Uh, but I would hope to see before too long an effort made to put him in favorable matchups, even if that means limiting his playing time a lot. Yeah, and with Avi, would you guys say maybe there's any hope um, for him maybe this season to just pick it up? Maybe like what Lewis said in, in 2017 when he was an all-star um, and then when he had his uh, like good season with the Milwaukee Brewers. Do you believe there's any hope to, to Avi? Maybe there's something specifically that if he changes that, we can at least there's someone there that can post a positive war or 700 OPS or even an 800. Is there something – that maybe you saw last season that can give you hope, a glimmer of hope at all from Avi for the 2023 season? Even though he's just done it before. I'm sorry, Eli, go ahead. You can just, again, point to the fact that he looks, the way that he looks and the way that he's saying what he's been saying, um, the physical and the mental seem to be in a better situation than they were at this time a year ago. That's something. And I just go back to the fact that I think he could bounce back a lot against left-handed pitching. And if he does so enough, then that lifts up the entire line. And um, any of the flaws are kind of can be outweighed if he does enough damage in those favorable matchups. Not as a he's not gonna get back to who he was in 2021. I thought that was kind of an anomaly. You just said a lot of career highs in his production there. And they're career highs for a reason. You don't usually build upon those as you get deeper into your 30s. I see little things that are working in his favor, though. So the strange thing about it is that when your bat speed starts to decline, you tend to compensate by being a little bit more aggressive at the plate. And he was more aggressive while maintaining similar um, bat speeds, although the exit velo won't indicate that. But it like, if you look at his last two years, the walk rate has gone down at least 2% every year. And if he's, if that hyper-aggressive approach still continues, then, you know, I have about as much faith as I did in him after I saw him Sunday when he put up an offer with a couple of strikeouts. Like, I just, there's a lot that, le there's a lot left to the, uh, to be desired with him because there's just, like, so much that he can do that he doesn't do. And, Honestly, an 800 OPS, Danny's a pipe dream. I think, again, he could do it. It's not of the realm of possibility. But I was telling Eli ahead of the show that if you got who he was in Milwaukee on the, tot on the total scale, 775 OPS, 
with average defense, I think you could live with that. Um, you know, that's an above league average hitter. And for his career, he's really just a league average hitter. But if you can get that upper end, you know, that 775, maybe 780 OPS, I think you'd be happy with that. Um, but overall, no, I mean, I'm not really going to back on my stance. There's just too much like that states that he is just not going to be somebody that's going to make a positive impact on this team. And honestly, I'd, I'd be I'd be close to saying that he's almost done as a productive big leaguer. But again, there's oh, wow. still some there that suggests that he can rebound. But for me, I don't see it. Yeah. Uh, and before we get to the next player, just a quick recap on Avi on his spring training. 143, um, 466 OPS, 20 strikeouts to only one walk. So if there's any credence that he might not be a productive big leaguer, um, spring training it would be the a great a good sign for maybe what's to come from there. But to go from one player to another, let's go in to Sandy's favorite battery mate, Jacob Stallings, who the Marlins acquired in a trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates um, in the 2022 off season for his spring training uh, to go a little bit of looking like that. Still not the best. Uh, 30 at bats, 167 average, OPS of 4.53, and then we go into his last season, first season with the Marlins, a negative 0.7 WAR with the Fish, four home runs, um, but there was um, sub uh, highs with Jacob Stallings um, after the All Star break. He did put up some decent numbers that could look pretty decent for the Fish, and something maybe. Um, that it could be leveled on to the 2023 season. Um, Lewis, talk to me about Jacob Stallings. What can we expect? And is he just here so Sandy can potentially repeat a Cy Young award? Yeah, essentially you're asking, is he the David Ross to our John Lester? Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's somewhat, you can say that somewhat because nothing of what he did last year beyond catching arguably the best season by a Marlins pitcher ever um, is enough for him to get consistent playing time. But by way of the fact that the catchers that they do in the, in the minor leagues, particularly Paul McIntosh, whose bat may be the closest to the big leagues, um, maybe Joe Mack too, is, you know, he's here because he's got the experience and that's kind of why he's here. Like, I, I, I don't know, like his career adjusted OPS plus before he became a Marlin was like, I think it was 88 or 91. And then he put together a year where he was like nearly 50% below league average offensively. And that dropped to an 83. I think I'd be suffice to say that like, if he even just did that and his defense was marginally better, not say what it was in 2021 when he was arguably the best defensive catcher in baseball, the Marlins would at least, feel vindicated in some regards, although you can argue that they didn't even have to give up that much. I mean, Zach Thompson's no longer in Pittsburgh. Um, Connor Scott has pretty much played his way out of professional baseball, essentially, with the way he's played. So, I don't know. I mean, the fact that he's still in the big leagues after one season, I think, kind of says that they wound up on the better end of this. I mean, you essentially traded two marginal prospects and one for a Cy Young season, essentially, and that's a weird kind of thing because Stallings caught every inning of Sandy season, but you know, offensively he doesn't give you anything. I like the the signing at, or the trade at first when it happened because he didn't strike out 
Um, his on base was respectable. I believe it was about like 330 or 332 when the Marlins acquired him. But again, he had had about like one full season of games as a primary backstop before they went out and made that trade. So it's it's kind of premature um, that, that they traded for him when he did. But again, like it paid dividends in some regards. But overall, he just, you know, a lot of ground balls. Obviously, they don't want him to run a lot. The framing was horrendous. There were, I remember there was a time, there were multiple times last year where there were balls that were thrown, that were um, mishandled by him, that the league just failed to call pass balls on him. And he set a record for consecutive games without a pass ball, which is kind of an embarrassment to Johnny Bench, who I believe held the record before him. So there, there I don't know, there's just a lot that I don't like, but he's real, like I, like I pretty much outlined at the outset, he's here by necessity. There, like statistically, there's nothing that you can draw that he does besides maybe the fact that he is a slightly above average player when it comes to chase rate um, that suggests that he'll be any better. But if he is what he was, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, then sure. But again, he's another guy that I don't have all that much expectations for. And that's somebody I see. I don't see long-term in their plans. Just with Jacob Stallings also, how would you guys see maybe also um, his second half last season? His second half was, you know, after that All-Star break, was completely turned over. He had a 281 batting average, a 381 slugging for a 742 OPS. Uh, OPS plus was, I believe, 14. So he was a completely different player coming back from that second half. Um, maybe we go back to Lewis. When you look at his second half there, is that something that can give you hope? for him in terms of him offensively because he did have a really great second half the first half he had an ops under five and then second half his ops is close to 800 is that something that the marlins saw and wanted him to bring him back and, and everything i had something very particular on him because it is more specific than the second half there was this one little stretch where he was as good a hitter as he had ever been um I want to make sure that my screen doesn't freeze on this one, but he had the stretch where by weighted runs created plus during that time period, it was the very best 15 game stretch of his entire major league career A 189 or 100 represents league average um, during that late July, mid August stretch uh, coming right out of the all-star break at a time, unfortunately, where the, the team was essentially out of it. He had struggled so much during the part of the season that really mattered, and he turned it on just in time to at least improve his own self-esteem and his own confidence in his abilities, looking not even like the player that he had been, but looking at, at the very best version of himself. What stands out during that stretch is that he only hit one home run. You're never going to get any power out of him. In the same way that Avi has his limitations with – Swing, swing at the right pitches and making contact. Stallings has his own unfortunate ceilings as well when it comes to he's not going to hit for any power and he's not going to run whatsoever. He's one of the slowest players in all of baseball. What you need to trust with him is to draw his walks, as Lewis referenced, and to find his singles as best that he can. And one thing that stood out to me um, when he was performing at his best is that he – Pulled kind of a reverse Jorge Soler where he stopped worrying about pulling the ball. We talked about how Soler is a very pull-happy guy, and Stallings is more the opposite. He 
is well below the league average in how often he pulls the ball to the left side. He uses the whole field. And I'd say he's at his best when he really leans into that, just tries to get his bat on the ball and um, like just stays on pitches deep into the zone and just hits them where they're thrown to him and using a lot of center field and right field. Uh, for his career, he's somebody that has had good results when he does pull the ball, but last year was kind of this drop-off where we saw that when he pulled the ball, um, when he tried to hit the ball hard and uh, like do damage, it would it was counterproductive. He would hit into a ton of double plays and just generally didn't do damage on those pitches. So he's entering a stage of his career where I think more so than ever before, he needs to embrace his limitations and not even think about trying to do extra base hit damage, more so about just putting the balls in play in the first place for a guy that, as we talked about, a lot is riding on his defense regardless. And I have some concerns about that as well because he is not a good thrower of the ball. That's one of his main weaknesses defensively. He does not have a great arm. He doesn't even have quick pop time. When he works with Sandy, that kind of gets amplified because Sandy is relatively slow to the plate. And we're coming in, into a year where the bases are bigger than ever and we expect more stolen base attempts than ever before. So he needs it, – it's a big task for him to try to replicate what the magic that he had with Sandy Alcantara last year and also being at his best at the plate. I don't expect him to get fully back to that 2019 to 2021 level offensively where he was hovering around a 700 OPS but I think it's successful if he splits the difference between last year's offense and that previous established levels. So if he splits the difference there and if his defense ticks up a little bit between in the same way between what it was last year and the gold glove quality it was the year before, uh, then you'll be satisfied. The early indications are that he is going to play a lot, not only when Sandy is catching, but he's going to be the primary catcher over Nick Fortes to start the year. And I don't think the Marlins are married to that concept. He's going to need to perform a little bit. Um, and for him, it, it just needs to be focusing on doing the little things instead of worrying about being a run producer. It, it, don't try to do, be out of character. Just embrace who he is as a player. Use the whole field. Try to do a small part at the very bottom of the lineup. Uh, that leaves me to ask you guys this question before we go to our final player. Stallings, Fortes, you guys can give me really quick. Which one would you rather have for a full season as your number one catcher? Fortes or Stallings? I think Fortes kind of reminds me a little bit of Real Muto in that he's, for a catcher, he's a little more slender than Stallings, a lot more slender. Stallings is also very tall, um, 6'4, 6'5. Um, and he's a lot, so he's a lot more athletic. And the batted ball and the batted ball data as well as what he just has done. He's just an overall pretty good hitter when he is playing for the most part, suggests that I'd want Fortes. Do I think he's the best defensive catcher? No, but from what we saw last year relative to 2021, where he almost lost it behind the plate sometimes, you definitely want Fortes because, you know, this is a team that fails to score runs on a consistent basis. I believe they're in the bottom three of teams in run scored and adjusted OPS plus since 2018. And that's the post Stanton Real Muto era. Or I'm sorry, post Stanton Ozuna era. Real Muto was there for the first year of the downfall. But, you know, you want you. So you need offense. And 
I could forego a little bit of the catching because the Marlins already had a good pitching staff and they're already tattled with a good pitching staff entering 2023, despite the limitations that Stallings presents as a catcher. So, yeah, Fortes is my guy, but Stallings is a veteran, though he has essentially two full seasons as a catcher to that, whatever that may mean. So, I don't know. I, but yeah, I'm definitely going uh, Fortes over Stallings. Yeah, I would agree with that. Even though Fortes had somewhat of a total opposite, where he wasn't even in the big leagues to start the year. He came up, he was on fire offensively, and then he steadily petered out so that his numbers at the end of the year all of a sudden didn't look all that impressive. In that case, we just need to defer to what we observed and actually following him day to day. He was a player that they felt confident enough to bat him in the middle of the lineup a lot of times um, and even use as their designated hitter on certain days, even when Stallings was catching because they valued his bat that much. I think there is more in there. They are on different ends of their career trajectory, and I think Fortes will perform even better on a per-plate appearance basis than he did a year ago. So I'd, I'd like to see him um, get more playing time as well. He just needs to... Um, Give Stalling some credit for the way that he handled the pitching staff last year, especially the way that he handled Sandy Alcantara. Uh, it was the same stuff being thrown as in previous years, and yet obviously the results took off several levels higher than he had established prior in his career throwing to different catchers. There's something to that. And so I understand why Stallings is still a significant part of the team. This I just threw up our, our graphic about his weighted runs created plus relative to his pull rate. And it's almost they're perfectly um, disproportionate to each other where when he pulls more, his, his production goes down. When he pulls less, the production spikes up quite a bit. And as we see late in the year, that is when he was hitting his best. And that is when he was pulling the ball for a period of time, about 20% of his batted balls. Imagine that. That's how few balls he was actually trying to yank in, instead using the whole field and just understanding that he's not going to do a whole lot of damage anyway. So um, might as well stay on balance as much as you can mechanically during your swing rather than um, yeah trying to do too much. Just keep it simple, Stallings. Yeah. And simple as that, we go from Kimple, keep it simple, Stallings, to keep it simple, Scott. Going on Tanner Scott here, our final player here in our comeback players series. Uh, pitcher that the Marlins got uh, along with Cole Sorcer in the trade again before last season. Uh, he ended up with a 4-3-1 ERA uh, for a total of a 0.0 war. Um, he 20 saves for the Marlins, ERA plus of 95, a whip of 1.61, uh, 6.6 walks per nine. What should we expect from someone? Um, is he no longer the closer? Can we expect him to close out games? In what way and what role does Tanner Scott have with the fish in 2023? Uh, I guess we could begin with the end part because Skip Schumacher did speak on that today. He noted that it was Dylan Floro and AJ Puck and Tanner Scott that were going to be in the mix for closing opportunities as the season begins. That goes to show that they don't feel he's all that far removed from the form that he showed in the middle of the season. And they still think that he could get high leverage outs, even potentially against right-handed hitters and not only being in a specialist role. So they still have some faith in him coming out of the spring training based on what I saw. He doesn't really fit in this episode. Lewis just wanted to talk about him. 
Because if you look at last year, there were periods of time where he was the best reliever on this team. I wouldn't say he's a bounce-back candidate just because his established level of performance isn't really the same as what we're talking about with these other guys. Um, like he had short season success in 2020. And then besides that, this is who he's been. He is somebody, I noted this during the offseason, he has the highest career walk rate out of all active pitchers in baseball with a minimum of 200 innings. Nobody for their careers has walked more and had a substantial major league career among current pitchers than Tanner Scott. This has been an issue throughout his career with throwing strikes. Um, but what I wanted to note with him is this pretty interesting trend is that he started the year last year relatively hot and he did it while relying so much on his slider early in the year, he was throwing his slider almost every single pitch, even though the most tantalizing aspect of him is that he's a lefty that throws a high 90s fastball. He rarely used the fastball early on. And as the season went on, he very steadily tweaked his pitch mix. It was this really gradual but consistent trend. I'll get it on right here where... There's a little bit more fastballs. The fastballs go up, the, the sliders go down. And by the end of the year, it was almost a 50-50 split in that regard. I just found that interesting that he eventually arrived at a point where he was alternating those pitches after being almost exclusively a one-pitch pitcher um, early in the year. So he's a very fascinating player. Not necessarily a bounce back just because um, some of his best performances of his career were this past season during that middle portion when he got the closest role. But as we know, he lost that role um, and never really got it back during the second half of the season, and for good reason, because the walks are there. And, um, yeah, there are times where he's surprisingly hittable, even for the quality of stuff that he has. But, but Lewis, I, I know you have a lot to say about Tanner Scott. Um, yeah, do you agree with this plan that seems to have him entering the year as one of their high-leverage arms? Do you think he's ready to reprise that role early on? I mean, you could look at his splits by innings and kind of find a uniform role there, but Skip has been adamant at saying that there's going to be a fluidity, and not just on the position player side, but as far as how they're going to go about closing games. I think if you're going to go a safer bet, Dylan Floro is the guy because, I mean, we saw Dylan Floro went through extended stretches last year where, you know, he was going 10, 12, 15 innings without allowing an earned run at one point, and he doesn't do it with the kind of kind of and say that the sexy stuff that that um you know Scott does. Scott is forcing fastball and then he throws his slider to the extent that it humbles the amount at which Stephen Oker throws it. I believe if you look at Stathead or um Savant, it's 63% of the time, even though as Eli previously mentioned, that kind of started to balance out where it was about 50-50 at the end of the year. But yeah, the walk rate is the most concerning thing, and that's why I think when you go when you assess, you know, pitchers' roles by how they do in high, low, and medium leverage indexes, he's the last guy you want closing games. Um, you know, he was in the first percentile in walk rate, and among all relievers, you could set that minimum as low as sixty innings, fifty, forty, and thirty. He had the worst walk rate. It was like six point six walks per nine. And I believe it was. You know, there were. It's. I mean, that, that's just bad. When you have that kind of stuff, it's like, I mean, the image that speaks into mind for us is, I, I, it's the walk-off home run that he gave up to, I believe, Garrett Stubbs, or was it Bryson Stott? I'm blanking on who it was, but it was in Philadelphia. It was a hanging slider after he, after he had failed to kind of consistently throw strikes. And 
you know, he got hit hard there. But the Mar when the Marlins acquired him, they acquired him on the present on the premise that his expected stats suggest that he should be better. And we kind of got some of that in 2022 where he still put guys away. I mean, remember Matt Barnes, who the team recently acquired, was to a lesser extent what Scott was in 2022. He put guys away. He strikes guys out. I mean, Chandler Scott, going back to his days in Baltimore, was always able to put guys away because, like you said, Eli, he's a lefty with an upper 90s fastball. When it's working, he has a very good slider. Um, he generally induces like weak contact, like think like Jonathan Loisaga, but just not ever knowing where the ball is going. And yeah, it's you don't want another four ERA with the three six dip. I mean, it's encouraging for a team that were to take a chance on him. But even then, like you kind of just don't want to give him high leverage innings early in the season because of what the mar of what the actual division itself is. You know, if the Marlins have any shot at going to the playoffs. I think you need to kind of offset all of the deficiencies that you have, whether that's on the defensive side, um, working with the fact that the Mets lost Edwin Diaz, so they may struggle to close games. The Phillies are without Reese Hoskins. They're also without their top pitch prospect, Andrew Painter. So I think it may be a deviation from an, from the analytics, but it could be best to say that they need to take advantage of, I guess, the benefits that have been allotted to them and kind of put out their best guys on respective nights to win. I think definitely if you're putting Scott out in a lot of ninth inning situations that you're going to lose more games than you would ex expect. Um, but that also comes down to how just you tamper your expectations. Um, he's not somebody I'd want to give ninth inning um, innings to because of what we've seen. And like you said, that trend of just suspect control has carried him for the entirety of his career. I mean, like if you have a walk rate as high as he kind of boasts generally, why would you want that guy closing game for you? Yeah. Um, the last thing, the very last thing before we go, I wanted to get um, the final the results from both you guys um, between these four players. Um, which one do you believe will be, will have the best season in 2023, almost a prediction of, uh, out of these four, um, let's go uh, Eli, Tanner Scott, Stallings, Avi, Jorge Soler. Which one has the best season? Jorge Soler. Keep it simple. All right. Same question to you, Mr. Lewis. It would just be Soler, and that's based on the batted ball data that Eli noted, the shift data and everything else. Um, he's closer He's a closer to a sure thing, and that's because they're, the expectations are slightly tampered. Yeah. And for mine, I'll go the same thing. Um, let's go 32 homers, Jorge Soler, big season out of him. And with that, that's our episode of Fishology for myself, Daniel, for Eli, for Lewis. This is Fishology. And go watch the opening day game between the Mets. Go watch the, all the series. Go cheering on. And remember, we will give you coverage of this every day on Fish Stripes and on Fishology. We look to give you more episodes once the season starts. Always go fish.